Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Travers. Welcome to Popcorn, where we tell you what is popping in the culture. And my guest today, Mayim Bialik, is, well, she's everywhere. She's not just finishing season 10 of The Big Bang Theory. She's the only neuroscientist who's actually playing a neuroscientist. I challenge anybody else to say that, so come at me and do this. And now she's written this amazing book called Growing Up, which is about, well, I'm going to shut up. You're here. Yes. You can tell me all of this stuff. Yes. So let's start with the Big Bang Theory. It's you finished now, season ten. Correct. Whoa, <laughs> that's a lot of years. But you didn't. You came in. You're such a latecomer. I came in. The end in of season the, three. Correct. And Melissa Roush, who plays Bernadette, we were both made uh, regulars in season four. So only seven years. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Exactly. <laughs> in TV years, I don't know right. what that is. Probably right. 72 I years. I feel 86 years old. So yeah. you now are signed up for seasons 11 and 12? Correct. We making got $20 million an episode, I hear. Uh, no. Yes, <laughs> don't, don't believe everything you read. <laughs> well, I have to believe it. I see all that. And, you know, if you can lend me a 20, it would that's be great. <laughs> you know, it would be. But congratulations Thank to you. you and Melissa for both getting that. Thank it's, you. Um, Sometimes a tough thing to negotiate. Uh, it's all it's all tough, you know. I think people think people think of the aspects they love most about shows like The Big Bang Theory, but there's actually a business behind it, um, and it is a no uh, very very <laughs> very large corporate enterprise. Our show, and there's uh, a lot of complexity to it, but um, you know, ultimately, we're we're grateful to be on a cast of seven people, and um, we have phenomenal writers, and we like the stories that that they have us tell. Do you get to input into any of this? No. I mean, Chuck Lorre really knows what he's doing. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's proven that pretty well. Um, no, I mean, sometimes I'll be asked neuroscience-specific questions. We have a physics consultant on the show. I get that the all show. the time. Right. Yeah. We have a physics consultant on the show, but sometimes there'll be neuroscience-specific questions. But for the most part, many of our writers have science backgrounds or um, are coupled with people who have science backgrounds. And this thing called the Internet makes everyone able to have some level of science information <laughs> at their fingertips. So. If they want it and can, Correct. Under- and can understand it. Right. I would think that would let you be able to intimidate everyone on that show. What do they know? What does Jim Parsons? <laughs> well, my, my know? therapist says I tend to intimidate everyone, Everybody. not just on the show. So. Really? But that's um, good. Mm. No, I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, do the other actors ask you to explain things? Actors don't appreciate when one actor has been set aside as special for any reason. So I kind of try and, like, fly under the radar with that, you know? Um, I have a lot of comic book knowledge and superhero knowledge, and that I sometimes will contribute if if we're talking about things. But generally, you don't want to pull rank on people like Jim Parsons and Kaylee Cuoco. You know, like, they're accomplished actors. They know what they're doing. They don't need me informing them of anything. To give them notes. No, you, know? no, you could that's say not my that. job. That's one thing that is not my job. But the point and the reason I'm bringing this up first before we get to the book is that Amy, your character, is a late bloomer, which mm-hmm. is the phrase that you use in the book. Too. Correct. Socially awkward in many ways, as is most of the characters on the Big Bang Theory to do this. Right. So out of that, out of playing somebody like that, what was the inspiration to write a book like Growing Up? So I actually, I have a website called Grok Nation. You do? And I do. And I write, um, I write articles on all sorts of things, and we have contributing writers as well. And after the episode of Big Bang Theory where El, um, Sheldon and Amy have coitus for the first time, mm-hmm. I wrote an article for Grok Nation saying that um, 
I'm a late bloomer, and I play one on television. Mm -hmm. And here are some of the things that I think are positive, and here are some of the things that are challenging. And I was approached by Jill Santapolo from Penguin Books, and she said, you know, you're not coming from a religious or a political place, but I like the way you talk about modesty and boundaries. And she said, would you be interested in writing a book with that as the kind of voice? And I said, yes, but I would also be interested in writing a, a more general book about the entire female experience, not just the sex and dating part, um, but from a scientific perspective and also sort of a sociological perspective, you know, how do other cultures see sex and dating and mm -hmm. how we view beauty and body image? So I wrote a book kind of about all things female, from puberty to sex and dating and hormones uh, to how we learn and what we put in our bodies, how we cope with difficult things and how ultimately we can, you know, make an impact in the world. And the book's written for 10 to 18 year old girls, but other people can read it who know girls in that age range. I or, did. Or, yeah, there you what go. What does that say about me? And it plus, says that you, you want to know good things about about being human. Because guys can learn. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Well, maybe we shut off at a certain yeah. period. I don't really know. But the fact is, you're the mother of two sons. Correct. What happened to the manning up? Um, well, I, I like to point out that for most of human history, books were written by men for men. And so there's plenty of information so in the universe. So who needs another one? No, but also, you know, uh, in all seriousness, you know, um, the male genitalia is on the outside of the body. There's a lot of clarity about that. Okay. Women's bodies are, are, are much more, um, you know, privately guarded. Mm -hmm. And women do, um, and girls do possess a different hormonal, social, verbal profile. And so... There are a lot of things that, that historically have not been talked about in terms of female development and also the female experience. But you use the word modesty, which is mm -hmm. good, for, especially for someone like you, who I've watched uh, recently on the James Corden show, flashing uh -huh. your boobs oh, at that was, Pierce uh, Morgan. Well, right, my back was to the camera, it though. It was, so we I don't know what he that. saw. Right. Uh, well, you know, there's things that happen inside of a bra, and he saw that. Yeah, so Piers Morgan had criticized Susan Sarandon for um, wearing a revealing outfit while discussing very serious things on an awards show, and there was a lot of fuss about cleavage gate and all these things. So um, I, was, I was poking fun because I actually am a, a, a considered a pretty socially conservative person, so that was really a moment between him, another socially conservative person, and myself where my, um, my rebellious feminist spirit absolutely won and I'm grateful for that. I'd love that that spirit wins. Yeah. Because with the great thing about watching you and Jim Parsons on on Big Bang Theory mm -hmm. where you you'll come in and announce to someone Sheldon and I had sexual intercourse. Right. <laughs> right. Right. That's it. That's the language that's used to yeah. describe it. Very clinical. Our writers our writers keep Sheldon and Amy very very clinical and I think that's kind of sweet. There are people that speak like that, so <laughs> of course, right. you know, and yet there's because of Grok Nation, that's about empathy. That's about yeah. somebody communicating with somebody else because they're saying, I understand. Well, yeah, and I think something we also talk about that, that many people have taken note of is um, whenever Amy and Sheldon are, are physically intimate, there's a lot of talk about consent. And I'm told that Steve Malaro, our showrunner and executive mm -hmm. producer, is... Um, very proud, you know, that that's something that he, he maintains. Even in a very committed long-term relationship, there's still a notion of, are you okay with this? Are we okay? And I think for certain personalities in particular, that's very important. And for Sheldon and Amy, I, I think it absolutely is. Well, it is, but it's important in the scheme of things. Whatever you seem to have done, because Blossom before that, before you even go and study for your sure. neuroscience degree, right. it's a show about a girl. Yep. We didn't have many of them. 
we did we didn't have many at all. And Don Rio, who created Blossom, um, was was told as was I that no one will watch this show. No one wants to watch shows about girls. Uh, Pun Punky Brewster was an exception. It was on earlier, and that was an afternoon show. This was a prime time show focusing on a girl and. Uh, we, we were literally told no one will watch this show. And the fact is, we were not an ex, you know, a, a ridiculously popular show. We were not a top 10 show, which most people you know, remember it so fondly. We were like a top 20-ish you know, show. But, uh, but in fact, people were interested in seeing this kind of family. And, and the fact is, things were different in the 90s. We had a lot of Playboy bunnies on the show to try and gather viewership. We were up against NFL football, which is a tough place to be. But I don't think there's any number of women in bikinis that can make people not watch NFL football. So I didn't have a problem with that kind of conflict. So. But Blossom was a show that ran for five years. Yes. So obviously somebody was watching it because TV, let's face it, right. network TV is about well, the money. And, and back then, you remember, the you and I are old enough to remember when there were three networks. There were and, just and, three, yeah. And Fox was this satellite renegade thing <laughs> that had like 21 Jump Street and America's Most Wanted <laughs> and this very racy show called Married with Children, which looks like a Sunday morning children's show when you compare it to what's on television now. Television was very different then. There was no internet. There was no kind of publicity machine that was running by social media. Things were very different. Things were simpler then, you know? Well, they were, but be, you were, seemed to be on the cutting edge of things like that. Thank you. It's like you come in, you do Blossom, then you go to school. You right. say, you went to UCLA. Correct. And you said, I'm going to be a neuroscientist. Right. Where did that come from? I fell in love with biology when I was 15. Actually, I had a tutor on the set of Blossom. <laughs> um, she was then a dental student at UCLA. She's now a fancy surgeon and lives in Beverly Hills. Um, but I fell in love with science and was never really taken with the fame machine of Hollywood. And my parents What's wrong were, with you? My parents were teachers and my grandparents were immigrants from Eastern Europe. So I was taught that you go to college and you, um, you know, work as hard as you can to be valued for not only what's in your brain, but what you can give to the world to repair it because we come into a broken world. So for me, um, that was really a no-brainer. I wanted to get my education and um, not be judged by what was out here. You got a PhD. I That's did. That's a lot of time. That That's a lot of time. I was in school for, for almost 13 years. Yeah. And I had two kids by the time I was done. <laughs> <laughs> You're very, very frank in the book about things that happen in your own life. Mm -hmm. You talk about your dad's death. Correct. Talk about your divorce. Yep. You talk about the things that happen. Right. Is that difficult for you to do, to just it, open up of, about Of course. Like that? You know, that, that doesn't come easily. And, um, you know, this book, this is not like a, I want to make millions of dollars, I'm going to write a book. This was really a project that took a tremendous amount of time, a tremendous amount of thought, and a tremendous amount of vulnerability. But I think a lot of the problem with what it was like when I was growing up is that no one talked about things. And I don't just mean in my home where there was lots of, you know, <laughs> unhealthy repression in hilarious ways. Um, I mean, societally, we don't talk about a lot of difficult things. And when I was 15, if someone had said to me, things are going to hurt in your life and you're going to feel these emotions and mm -hmm. this is what it does to your body if you don't take care of them. Here are the free things that you can do. You can teach yourself to breathe. You can teach yourself to meditate. You can, you know, find solace in friendship, in music, in art. If someone had said those things to me, I think it would have saved me a lot of heartache and a lot of difficulty. So what I decided to do with this book is write the book that I wish that I had had. Yeah, because I'm thinking, there you are, saying you're a late bloomer yourself, but at the same time, you're on 
a major network television show. Sure. You're well, that's not something that usually, like, everyone blooms into that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Since having ever been on a major no, network I think television when I, show no, as a teenager. Right, but when I say that I was a late bloomer, I mean that my first kiss was on camera, my second kiss was on camera, I didn't have a boyfriend until I was... They were both on Blossom. Uh, yeah, I didn't have a boyfriend until I was almost out of high school. You know, I didn't... Um, hook up with people like that wasn't something that was part of my you know set of life choices um, I didn't understand a lot of the things that other kids were talking about or interested in um, I, I arrived at puberty very late so I you know was was blessed with an athletic body and I didn't really think about body image much because I was an athlete and I ran track and you know so all of those things lead to a different kind of female experience and I was a boyish female which now you know they say oh it's gender fluid and you're a masculine female okay but yeah. back then we didn't call it that we just called it oh, I'm not like other girls, and I don't like things that other girls like. What's wrong with me? Which separates you. Sure. And everybody's got their thing that separates them, for sure. Well, but sure. I think growing up in the 21st century, girls, they're now growing up with more of a notion of like, oh, there's this thing called gender fluidity. Like, you don't have to be one way as a mm-hmm. female. You don't have to be one way as a male. And that can be independent of your sexual choices as well. Like, that's complicated stuff. But... People need to know about this. But you talk about body image, which Uh is crucial. Mm -hmm. For girls, maybe more than boys, but the fact is it's across the board on this one. And you get the pain of it, of being set aside. See, when I look at you and I think about the the days of Blossom, Mm -hmm. I see this energy, this like dancer. Right. just the opening of that show right. with the hat and the right. moving and right. the, there just seems no problems with huh. this girl. Interesting. So I was totally wrong. Well, I mean, I think that's interesting and it's something that, that Don Rio and our writers on Blossom wanted to tackle. Um, there are these expectations, especially, I mean, this is, you know, topic for many shows. There are expectations of females that they should be palatable, you know, and, and, and presentable. And, you know, it's funny, I was at a, um, I was at a Lakers game and I noticed how all of the, the cheerleaders, you yeah. know, they're constantly smiling all the time. Like, a, as if they're, that's the emotion that you want them to have. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want them to be happy all the time. And that's something that really isn't expected of men in the same way. And I know there's going to be some guy who's like, oh, a woman told me to smile the other day. I, I'm sure that that happens. But generally speaking, it's an, it's an unbelievable experience to be a woman going about your business or at the gas station and have a man say to you, why aren't you smiling? Like, that's an unbelievably strange experience. And that does happen for girls a lot. It happens for girls a lot. It happens for preschool girls a lot, even. We know that these things happen very well, really, young for Really? Why aren't you smiling? You know? I don't know. Women, why are you still yes. in my face? Yeah, you know? right. Why are you still what in my face do, is what you want to say. Yeah. Why do you do with Well, me? and so I think, so it's interesting because... You know, there were aspects of, of Blossom's, you know, life that we wanted to show as, as happy and exuberant. But Don Rio was very particular that he also wanted to show that there were dark moments. You know, there were um, difficult things. You know, Blossom came from a divorced family and her mm, mother left. The, the mother, that was, a, that was a tough at thing. That, at that time, to depict a woman who simply didn't want to deal with the responsibility of being a parent and become a singer. I mean, mm-hmm. that happens every day. Like, I know six people that happened to last week. Yeah. But at that time, in 1990 and 91, that, that was a plot line that made people very uncomfortable. Why would a woman not want to be a mother, you know? Um, so, so I think that it's, it's very interesting that, you know, the notion is everything looked fine, but as I talk about in the book, a lot of times things look fine on the outside and there's a lot of trouble inside people's homes. We talk about alcoholism and, you know, abuse that happens in homes. And so that's really why I feel like this book is very, you know, 21st century, because we need to start thinking like that. With you, when you get your degree, uh-huh. what 
get you back onto a television show um, as instead of taking that degree and becoming a neuroscientist? Well, p- part of it was that um, part of it was that I I literally had a toddler and a newborn mm-hmm. when I finished, and I. Um, chose not to do a postdoc, which is what most people do after a PhD, because I wanted to be with my children in their formative years. And What's the, wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and the true story is, I was running out of health insurance, and um, figured if I can, you know, even get a couple acting jobs here and there, um, if it's enough to get you your Screen Actors Guild uh, after a health insurance, yeah. we would at least have insurance. My my then husband was still working on his master's degree. Um, I was teaching neuroscience for about five years, and uh, I was not expecting to be a full-time actor, but this show called The Big Bang Theory brought me on. I remember you back in the Beaches days. Uh-huh. You know, there you are. Right. Playing the young Bette Midler. Mm-hmm. Did she come in Beaches and say, this is the no. girl that I... No, I went through four months of auditions before I even met her. <laughs> True story. It took four months. But I did hear that you weren't able to sing yourself. That's right. I sang, through, I sang through all of my auditions, and Bet uh, Bet wanted a, a trained voice, um, meaning more of a well, the kind of voice that you hear in beaches. But I do sing. I was singing uh, along with the track, which is why it looks like I'm singing. It did I look was. very much. Yeah. And this show, since this is the first time, you've just been so hard to get. Right. And now is now is the time where we end the show always in a little of song. Okay. And what I would love you to do, even oh. though you could say, no, I'm not doing this, is do a little bit of Glory of Love oh that you gosh. couldn't sing yourself. No, that sounds terrible. Oh, it sounds like it's so great. I'll do it with you. Okay. What, what key do you want to sing in? Uh, the only ones that we can find Go in ahead. The you air. start and I'll join uh, you. You've got to... Give a little... Why am I singing along? I'm going to lose a little... That's too high for me. Okay. And let your poor heart break a little. There you go. That's the story of that's the glory. That's it. (laughs) Yeah. That was very Bette Midler. Thank you. The way you just finished it that way. That's a story of that's the glory of love. That's a a little early to sing. It's never too (laughs) early to sing. It really isn't. Of all people. So that's all you're giving. That's all I'm giving. Well, okay, I'll accept. I have a whole like eleven more hours of press. We're gonna save this voice. (laughs) I see your voice as being good. No, my voice is not good. I have a natural rasp to my voice, which makes talking for eleven hours very very difficult. difficult My publicist is like, "Don't sing. You're not gonna be able to speak all day if you sing." Well, that's the glory of my. That is the glory of my publicist. Really, yes, the glory of Heather Bezignano. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.